Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC, MMA, fighting information. In general, we are back better late than ever with episode 40. I was supposed to record this and air it Thursday, which would have been November 9th, but today is November 11th. I've been battling a cold all week. As you can kind of tell, I'm stuffed up. I've been pretty sick. I've just been also so busy dealing with um, my company and stuff that I've been doing through this school program that I'm in, which has been so fun. But uh, it's good to be back home here with my dogs. And just as I say that, um, this probably will be a recurring thing through the episode, is I have to let my dogs out. Finn and Scout, of course, my two lovely yellow labs. They just uh, they get all the attention around here, um, just as Finn is right now. And you know, some mo- I know a lot of dog owners, usually usually parents, like when dogs like paw at the back door, like whine at the back door, they're usually like, oh, go lay down, go lay down. But honestly, I'm a simp. I'm a simp, all right? You want to go outside, Finn? You want to go outside, Scout? I got you. I'll let you in it out all day. I mean, they, uh, they're too big for a doggy door. Because uh, and I guess I guess Yellow Labs could use a doggy door hypothetically, but I think if doggy doors are more for littler dogs, I think maybe the what's what's the biggest dog breed you think you would get for a? Or could a corgi? A corgi could probably use a doggy door. A pug, without a doubt. Maybe maybe like a small poodle or something. I don't know, but. Happy to be back home, seeing my folks, went out with them last night, but um, we got a lot to talk about, all right, we got a lot to cover, of course, week uh, week 10 now, wow, week 10 of the NFL already kicked off with the Panthers and Bears playing on Thursday, I did predict the Bears correctly, I do have records for it, so we are 1-0 on the week. And uh, UFC 295, the big, the center, the main event of this episode, my favorite part of uh, every episode is talking about uh, UFC goes down tonight on ESPN+. So we will be predicting all of those fights. But man, I'll tell you guys, being sick, it sucks. It, it, It derails everything. It derails my whole mood. I just, I am honestly a baby when I'm sick. I know I see like those memes, like it's like, oh, women are, women are way better than men when they're sick. But I'm like, hey, you know, when I get sick, it sucks. It throws off my whole momentum. I went to the gym Thursday and the weights felt so heavy. I could barely push myself. And I was like, you know what? I need a break. I was hoping to work out with some of my buddies back here, back in uh, Forest Lake, but that's not what God had in mind for me, but I'm happy to roll with whatever uh, whatever cards I'm dealt, if you want to say. But yeah, we got a lot to talk about today, and uh, I'm just going to dive right into everything because, you know, talking, talking hurts, you know, talking sucks. I sound stuffy. I feel stuffy. But it, it, honestly, it hasn't stopped me. I actually, Wednesday, I did a radio interview with um, some of my, uh, someone from my company, our CEO, Wyatt. We did a radio, radio interview with... Uh, Alpha Media, they're from like Mankato, they have like a country channel, a pop channel, throwback channel and stuff like that. And it was super cool talking about our company, helping out Mankato Youth Place in uh, Mankato, which is where I go to college in Minnesota. And it's just, it's super cool, super unique being able to run your own business and do marketing like that. And I'm actually going on the news. I'm going on the news on uh, Monday. So hopefully we're feeling better by Monday so I can uh, get myself looking all ready to talk about my company. But yeah, if you guys want to buy any of our uh, sweatshirts, all proceeds do go to charity. And plus they're really nice sweatshirts. They're really comfortable. And in this day and age, everyone has similar Similar clothing lines, this is a unique type of sweatshirt that you can wear. I really encourage it. You can go to evergrowingcoibe.com and purchase one or just look on my Instagram, the Surprise Jab Podcast Instagram. We're always posting stuff like that. 
But without ado, I've wasted enough time. Let's uh, let's get things kicked off with some new fight announcements. That's right, I always talk about new fight announcements, and there have been a number of them. Uh, we'll, we'll just go over some of the more interesting ones since we last talked on Monday. So one point I want to put one off fight I want to point out is Thomas Peterson versus Jamal Pogues on February third, twenty twenty-four, at an unannounced location. So this could be at the UFC Apex. This could just be a normal event. But Thomas Peterson is from this past season of Dana White's Contender Series, and he's actually from Farmington, Minnesota. And he had mentioned that the UFC was going to be going back to Minnesota at some point, and he wanted to be on that card. Now, I thought, I think a lot of people thought that the December 2nd card that's coming up here in a few weeks was going to be in Minnesota. It sadly wasn't. I really wish it was. But this does give me some hope that February 3rd could be a potential potential date the UFC comes back to Minnesota maybe it's at the Target Center maybe it's at the XL Energy Center maybe we bring back Conor McGregor and sell out uh U.S. Bank Stadium that's obviously a joke but uh Thomas Peterson he'll be back I mean super talented he's eight and one and he picked up a huge win over uh actually was it Chandler Cole on the contender series I think it was he got a finish there and as for Jamal Pokes I mean another contender series alum biggest UFC win probably over Josh Parshian but, uh, you know, I'll be happy to watch those heavyweights scrap, hopefully, maybe in person. You never, never know. Some big ones, though, as the UFC Shanghai main event, we do have confirmation that it is official. Song Dong will take on Chris Gutierrez. Both of these fighters are ranked at bantamweight. Song Dong is ranked number 7. Chris is 14. This will be going down in China, Song Dong's home country. Chris is coming off of a big win, um, his last fight out. I forgot who he actually, uh, who did he beat last time out? I think it was, he took on someone on short notice, but that doesn't really matter. Song Dong coming off a massive win over Ricky Simone. He's on a very good win streak, and he actually holds a um a win over Marlon Vera, who's going to be fighting uh, Sean O'Malley for the bantamweight championship next year. So Song Dong, super talented. Happy that he'll actually be able to main event in his home country because I was wondering what they were going to do with that card. I mean, obviously they need more big fights. I doubt they will. They can already just sell tickets to a big event overseas. But uh, it's always nice to see them be going to different places, going to different places. And I really want them to uh, keep going globally because in-person events are just so much better than these Apex events. But we'll deal with any cards we are dealt. A big ranked flyweight matchup was announced three days ago as number six ranked Matthias Nakalu will be taking on number eight ranked Manel Cape January 13th at the UFC Apex. Manel Cape just has dealt with so many opponents pulling out of his fights. He's going to be rematching Matthias Nakalu, who he fought in his second UFC fight. He lost by split decision. He turned it on late, but couldn't really get it going early. Matthias coming off of a nasty knockout loss to Brandon Royval, who's actually fighting for the Flyweight Championship in December. Very much like this fight. And Manel Cape is one of my favorite fighters on the roster, especially one of my favorite flyweights. Him, Muhammad Mokayev, Brandon Moreno, Amir Albazi. Love those guys. So happy those two will be uh, throwing it down. And I'm really hoping Manel Cape can pull out the win. And the last big one we'll touch on is that Charles Jordan will be fighting at UFC 2... Uh, 297, yes, on January 20th in Toronto. He'll be taking on Sean Woodson. Uh, Sean Woodson, I mean, he holds a win over Terrence McKinney. I mean, he's 10-1, he's 4-1-1 in the UFC, super talented. And as for Charles, you know, he's kind of found a career revitalization 
of sorts, and I always love seeing him on the Canadian cards. Such a fun, entertaining fighter. Hoping that uh, we can uh, get some more fights on this year. I mean, this will probably... I know the UFC enjoys going to Canada. I don't know how the fans really feel about it. I don't know how Sean Strickland feels about it, for uh, for starters. I mean, we all know how Sean Strickland is about um, Canada. But, um, yeah, Charles, uh, Charles Jourdain, happy to see him coming back early 2024. But, yeah, other than that, not too many other uh, big, big fights that have been uh, announced. Those are just ones that I found somewhat interesting. So we'll be uh, keep your eyes open. And by the time Monday comes around, hopefully I'll be able to record another episode. I'll be healthy, and we'll have more fights to talk about. Also, some, uh, some interesting things that have come to an end is Loki Season 2, the finale, probably the series finale. I doubt they'll make a Season 3. It was such a crazy ending. Spoiler warnings ahead. I doubt anyone that's listening to this has watched Loki, but if you if you have not watched Loki and want to watch it on Disney+, Plus, the MCU TV show, uh, just skip ahead to some random point and just fast forward back until we're not talking about spoilers. But what a crazy ending. I mean, season two, I thought it was kind of bland. I didn't think it was bad. I just thought it was average. But basically, Loki learns to control time. He learns to, like... Um, he was like time jumping or like time switching or whatever, where he's like glitching and he learned to control it. And he basically kept going back and back in time to learn how to uh, control like this temporal loom, which was going to blow up the TVA or whatever, you know, some, some big threatening thing. And basically he was able to uh, figure that out. He was finally like, oh, I've solved it. And then it turns out that that was not the issue. So he goes back. He interacts with one of Kang's variants, the next big bad of the MCU. And he basically finds out that there's no way he can stop this. So he has to find a way to do it on his own. And he basically becomes like this ultimate version of Loki. He blows up the temporal loom. Then he goes and he takes all the dead timelines. And he branches them together with his power. And he becomes the person that's holding the entire multiverse multiverse together. It was absolutely crazy. Very good scenery, good music, just, wow, just gripping stuff. It was sad seeing Morbius and Sylvie, you know, they're going to miss him. But, man, Loki is now the one who basically holds the multiverse together. It's crazy. And they did this very cool... I could only describe it as imagery or just callback to in North mythology. They have like the Yggdrasil tree, you know, like it's like I-G-G-R-I-D-I-S-L or whatever. I think that's how you spell it. The Yggdrasil, the Giselle, whatever tree. And it basically is like the tree of life in basically Norse mythology. And that's what the multiverse looks like now. So super cool stuff. I'm happy to see what they do next with Loki in the MCU. I don't know if we'll see him again for a while. But uh, I've been seeing that the Marvels has been getting really bad reviews. First off, I was never going to see that in the first place. It looked terrible. I've already seen all the spoilers on TikTok. I was just looking up spoilers because I'm like, I'm not going to see this. They've had some wacky end credit scenes, spoiler alerts. But um, basically, Kate Bishop from the Hawkeye series, she's now going to team up with the America... Not not America Chavez. That's that's a different actress. But uh, uh, Miss Marvel or whoever that is, the chick from the Disney show, they're gonna team up. Uh, and also Beast from uh, the X Men was in the end end scene. And like Carol Danvers, old partner who died is now back. Malcolm Rambeau's mother or whatever. I don't know. It looked terrible. I heard that's just a goofy mess. And uh, yeah, I have no interest in seeing that whatsoever. 
I'll tell you what I do have interest in seeing every single week is, and that is Invincible. And, you know, I'm not a big animated TV guy, all right? I really don't rock with animated TV at all. I, I don't know what it is. It's just not for me. But I'll tell you, my, my buddy Seth, he put me on to Invincible. I binge-watched the whole first season literally like two days before the second season came out. And I love it so much. And the second episode dropped, love seeing Invincible, Mark Grayson, uh, the main character in it, who's voiced by uh, Glenn from uh, The Walking Dead. So very cool there. Um, J.K. Simmons voices Omni-Man, but Omni-Man yet to appear in season two, hoping he can appear soon. But it has been a wacky, wacky start to season two. I will say episode two did feel like a filler episode. Nothing really big happening, you know, just kind of introducing villains, introducing new themes. It's I can tell it's going to be a good season, but, you know, eight episodes, they always kind of drag it out and nothing really picks up towards the end. But uh, season two, some good moments, uh, nothing really too memorable. Mark fought a giant fish creature under, in like Atlantis or whatever. That was that was the highlight of the episode. I'm hoping episode three brings some better stuff out of it. And something I did this week, which was long overdue. I, uh, you know, I pushed it off for so long. I finished The Sopranos. It is by far in my top five favorite TV shows of all time. I honestly should rank my uh, top 10 TV shows. I feel like I'm going to um, do that actually for like the next episode or just like one of our episodes coming up soon. But man, it was just such a good, uh, such a good show. I'll say the only blunder was the ending, even the director, even like the guy who uh, made The Sopranos said he didn't know how to end it, so he ended it in just a unique way. So spoiler warning, if no one's seen the ending of The Sopranos, uh, I, I just gotta say spoiler warning, you know, I, I gotta put that out there. But basically it ends with uh, Journeys Don't Stop Believing, and the song's playing, it's like Tony, he's meeting, he's meeting Meadow, he's meeting AJ, he's meeting his wife, all in the diner, those are his kids by the way, and... You know, he keeps thinking he's going to get killed because, like, him and, him and like, Phil, like, Phil's, like, someone from another family who they killed in the final episode, by the way. One of my favorite deaths of the entire show. Hated Phil. Um, but, yeah, basically, he's thinking people are out to get him, which they are. And you keep hearing, like, people come into the diner and the bell rings and he looks up. It's just a normal guy or it's, like, some one of his family. And you see Meadow coming into the, uh, or on her way into the diner. And then Tony looks up as the bell rings, like as the door opens. And basically it cuts the black. It says, don't stop. And then like the music from Don't Stop Leaving. And then it just cuts to black. And that's how the entire series ends. So very anticlimactic ending. Uh, still a bunch of loose ends. I mean, not a lot of characters. Really, uh, really like nothing was really finished. Not a lot of things were finished. But uh, there were some crazy moments, and just looking back through it all, I would rewatch this show. I don't, I don't really say I'll rewatch TV shows, but I would rewatch The Sopranos in a heartbeat. It is just, it was so good. You know, I, I feel like I'm Tony Soprano at times. You know, I, it just, I, I can't even describe it. I mean, Chris Montesanto. I mean, Pussy Vito. You got, um, oh my gosh, what's his, what's his name? Oh, oh my gosh, so many characters. You know, you just overload with characters, but um. Such good times on that show, and uh, I don't even know what to watch next now. You know, I have nothing to binge because every time I watch a show, I always need, like, a cool-off period because I just get so invested in the show. But, man, The Sopranos, easily a top-five show. It could even be higher. You know, it's up there with Game of Thrones for me. You know, I'm a big Game of Thrones guy. 
But man, man, definitely, definitely up there. And honestly, if I were to go back through, I'd probably take notes for every episode and maybe try and rank my top 10 Sopranos episodes. But uh, that last episode of The Sopranos was super good. The only kind of awkward part, I'd say, would be the official ending. Other than that, almost perfect. It's been called one of the best written TV shows of all time. And I completely agree with it. It is just perfection. Such good writing, such good callbacks. And man, they just they kill characters off at random points. Like you could you can be rocking with a character, then boom, he gets whacked. But yeah, potential top ten, uh, potential top ten TV show, which leads me into our next uh, our next point, our next point, which is the uh, my top ten uh, trilogies. That's right. I went through, I ranked my top ten trilogies. I'm not really happy with my list. I'll say there's just so many that it was hard kind of to place them. My, my official number one, I really like my number one. So like my number one will always forever be there. I understand it's not everyone's number one, but it is one of my favorites. Um, but other than that, I did have some trouble going through and finding like a bunch that I've seen, but uh, I was able to make a top 10 list. I did, uh, I don't really have an honorable mentions. I should have written down some honorable mentions, but uh, I landed on 10. I found 10 I liked. They may not be ranked in a perfect order, but I put them in somewhat of an order. So, without a doubt, let's get into it with my top 10 trilogies of all time. So, at number 10, the final one on this list, is the newest one. The third movie just came out this year. I have The Guardians of the Galaxy is my favorite trilogy of the MCU, without a doubt. I just, the first movie... One of the best MCU movies. The second movie, you either love it or you hate it. And I'm in the love this movie. It's in one of my top 10, top 10 MCU movies. And the third one, also in my top 10. I'm a Guardians of the Galaxy fan. I love Chris Pratt. I love Zoe Zay Saldana. I love Groot. I love Rocket. I love Drax. I mean, I was a WWE fan when B Batista was wrestling. And that's who is the actor for uh, Drax, Dave Batista. It's just... So good. Each movie just complements one another. The soundtrack, the action. You you feel the pain of this team. I mean, the third movie is just so emotional. The second movie's emotional even. And even the first has elements. It is is so good. I love, I love, love, love the Guardians of the Galaxy. And it lands at number 10 on my list. Heading into number nine, I honestly probably would put this a bit higher if I were to act, if I were to look super in depth. But I have Austin Powers, the Austin Powers trilogy, the Spy Who Shagged Me, Gold Member, Man, International Man of Mystery. I mean, just so funny. The the I quote this movie all the time. You know, are you horny, baby? Like Shagadelic. I mean, I just I love um. Oh gosh, who's the uh? Who's the actor? I literally, it's on the tip of my tongue. I, I, oh man, no, I gotta, Mike Myers. Yes, Mike Myers. Just one of my favorite, favorite actors. He is so funny to me. And just the Dr. Evil, just the dumb humor, which makes these movies so funny. They are, they're so entertaining. And without a doubt, Austin Powers at number nine. And without a doubt, on my top 10 list, no matter what. That is one of my automatics on my top 10 list anywhere. And those are rewatchable movies. Like, you talk about movies that you, someone can watch over and over and over again. I can watch those over and over again and never not find them funny, which I can't say for a lot of movies nowadays. Let's keep it rolling with number eight. I have the original Star Wars movies, episodes four, five, and six. You already know, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, those are my, um, they, that's, that's what it, that's what it is, right? I was thinking of, uh, 
What's episode eight called? So, or episode nine? Like the last Jedi? Oh, the last Jedi. Now, Return of the Jedi. The original Star Wars, I personally find as the best trilogy. Obviously, I'm a Revenge of the Sith fan. One of my probably one of my favorites. It's a, or unless it's top three at max, but uh, at minimum, I mean top three at minimum. Um, but yes, the the first three, I find them the best. I love all the characters the most. It's just so, so good, such good writing, even back in the 70s when the graphics weren't the best, which honestly, the graphics are really good. I mean, CGI back then honestly looks better than CGI today, but it's just such good storytelling, such good movies, and wow, I just, I'll start Luke Skywalker in this is just so amazing. Whatever he is in the new movies is just garbage. Don't even know what they did with him. Same with Han Solo, same with Chewbacca, but in this, he is, he is just amazing. Oh, man, let me just tell you, if y'all hear some cutaways in this episode more than other ones or just like some quick like stops of like me talking, it's because I keep coughing and I keep having to edit it out because it is just it's just ridiculous being sick. But um, the original Star Wars trilogy, I'm sure on official lists that it would be much higher. But this is Zachary Ruger's list. All right. And I'm not like everyone else. I obviously had to put it up here because I do believe it is in the top 10. But I feel like on other lists, it is more of a top five or top three trilogy of all time. Which brings me into number seven, which I've only seen these movies once. I've seen these movies once, and I still find them that amazing. I love the story. I actually kind of want to go back and rewatch them because I never saw the fourth and fifth movies. I have the first three Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Curse of Black Pearl, Dead Man's uh, chest at world's end. I mean, I love these movies. Captain Jack Sparrow is so good. Orlando Bloom is amazing. This, the lead actress, she is so, so good looking, perfect for the role. The villains in this, the CGI in these movies from, oh, who's the octopus guy? Davy Jones. I, you just, I cannot believe how good they made the CGI in this movie. Other movies need to take note of this. They're so good, so well-written, and each movie gets better. I mean, the first one, I was like, all right, the first movie, it was pretty good. I'll watch the second. Second one, even more amazing. And the third one tops both of those. I could not get over it. So good. And I think I've seen clips of the final one, but um, I never saw the uh, the fourth movie, I believe. But the first three, so good. I mean, Johnny Depp is just such a good Captain Jack Sparrow. I don't know if anyone can top him if they ever try it recast recast them in a movie it's just it's just so good it's just so good and just the whole idea of pirates and just trying to find the treasure trying to find your purpose it is it is amazing at number six i have the hangover and honestly the hangover it lands here honestly i might i would probably put it more at like number Honestly, it probably would be my number 10 if i were to go back and do this but the first two movies are just so good that one and two are just so good. And even though three is obviously not as good as the first two, three is not a terrible movie. It's just an okay movie. The first one I've seen so many times. It is hilarious. And the second one tops the crudeness of the first and the jokes. It is, it's, it's just so amazing. So the first two movies carry so hard. It is how it landed on my list. And looking back, six is a bit high, but I mean, the, the wolf pack. All right, the bo the boys. I mean, just Ed Helms. You got Bradley Cooper. You got Zach Galifianakis. It's such a good cast. I mean, you have a uh, oh my gosh, what's his what's his name? Doctor. Uh, oh, he's been in everything. The uh, 
the Asian guy. Oh my gosh. Ken Jong. Ken Jong, I think that's his name. Oh my gosh. He is hilarious in this movie. He has uh, also inside jokes for his wife who had cancer during the film, which I find great. If you go and look that up, he was doing jokes for her during the film. And man, just the, the plot twist, the plot twist, the realization that Phil has been on the roof the entire movie. So good. So amazing. The hangover. Love it. And now we get into my top five. My top five. I believe that two of these are unanimous going to be in everyone's top five. But uh, as for uh, this one, one of them I know won't be. My number one probably won't. But uh, at number five, I have The Hobbit. The Hobbit, I just read the book. I rewatched the movies. They are so good. These movies are so good. I've now seen them twice, maybe even three times now. And I honestly feel they're so underrated. I feel like a lot of people... Put kind of just put off the Hobbit movies just because of just the unnecessariness of them. Because of the book it was only like three hundred pages, not even it. Uh, they added so much. They add extra characters, extra scenes, extra villains into the movies. But the movies are so good. Apart from that, and just the acting is amazing. The guy who plays Bilbo, uh, he's also in Black Panther. He's also been in uh, the Avengers. I mean, he is. He is such a good actor. I mean, you have Gandalf, obviously. You have all the Hobbits, the journey they go on. Just, I find it so good. I find the Ho the Hobbit has honestly redeemed itself for me because I always used to put it off. My buddy Tyler always used to say, oh, you got to watch the Hobbit, man. You got to watch the Hobbit. It's so good. I'm like, no, no, no. It's just not for me. I encourage you all to watch the Hobbit. It will be for you. So good. And I don't know. There's no way they can make a sequel to it or anything. It's just out there. Always going to be there. The Hobbit, and number five. And at number four, this is my childhood, all right? Number four is my childhood. These movies, they've had such an impact on me. They are just so amazing. I have Kung Fu Panda, and I would compare it to The Hangover, where the first two carry so hard compared to just an okay third movie that that's how it lands. So high. Kung Fu Panda, Poe, Master Uguay, Master Shifu. I mean, you got Tigress, you got Snake, you got Crane, you got the whole gang. And it is just Tai Lung, an amazing villain. All right. And they up that with the peacock whose name I cannot remember in the uh, second movie. And even the third movie villain, that oxen. Oh my gosh. So good. I've heard they're making a fourth Kung Fu Panda movie. I don't know how it's going to be. But I, I will tell you, I will tell you without a doubt, the first two are so amazing. I mean, the second one is a personal favorite of mine, but it's so hard to even say like, oh, I like number two better than number one because of how much I like number one. The villains are good. The writing's good. Even the the animation for these movies is so good. I used to rewatch the first one over and over and over again. I had the action figures from McDonald's. I used to watch like the animated cartoons they had of it. Kung Fu Panda will always have a place in my heart. And now we get into the top three. And at number three, I think a lot of people usually have this. Could some people have this as their number one? But I do have it at number three. I've seen these movies long ago. Honestly, didn't even watch them in order, I don't think. But I do know how good they are. And I got to give respect to it. I have the Dark Knight trilogy. The, um, uh, what's his name? The Batman. The Nolan trilogy, if you will. Uh, the director of the film, Christopher Nolan. I mean, Christian Bale, a perfect Batman. He is just so good. Plays him so well, has the voice. You also get a little Morgan Freeman in there, a little, uh, what's his name, Jordan Leavitt or whatever. Um, 
or the oh, the one actor. Oh my gosh, you know Robin in the film unofficially. The villains are good. Just the the cast is so amazing, and I have to go back and rewatch these without a joke. Um, Without a doubt. I mean, I was thinking of Joker, Heath Ledger in those films. Oh, my gosh. But these movies are so good, even though I haven't seen them officially in so long. I just, I got to give props to them because I know how good they are. And I just, they, oh, man, you, you see the scenery from them. You see the writing. You just see the the grittiness of it. It is amazing. And I'd honestly like to be around when they wrote the script because it is a great, great script. And number two, this is the unanimous number one. This is the unanimous number one I've seen on IMDb. I've seen on all the lists, that just on other people's rankings. That this is the number uh, one trilogy of all time. And I honestly agree that it is one of the best. But honestly, I have a personal favorite for number one. But at number two, if you could guess of it, for top ten trilogies, movie trilogies, that is, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, my number two, obviously people's unanimous one, but the Lord of the Rings is just so good. I'm in the process of watching the first movie. I'm reading the book as well, so I'm trying to like read the book and watch the movie side by side. Um, but man, so good. Just so good. And the book is good. The Lord of the Rings is just... is so well... I, I point this out is that the CGI in these movies is beyond what we get today. And it was 20 years, almost 20 years in the past now. They only used it when they desperately, desperately needed to. The acting is so good. The battle scenes, the choreography, the wardrobe. I mean, this trilogy has it all. You feel the emotion. You root for these characters. You hate Sauron. You hate the villains. The orcs are nasty. It is, it is so, so good. But it ain't my number one. My number one it is, it's the third movie, the third movie of this trilogy is the only movie to ever make me cry. It is true. It is true. There's only been one movie that's ever made me cry. And it was this one that I can remember that I can remember. Actually, I can think of some others that I won't share on here, but I will say my number one trilogy is the planet of the apes. That's right. Rise of the planet apes, dawn of the planet apes and war of the planet of the apes. When Caesar dies at the end, I don't know what came over me, but some tears were shed. One of my favorite, favorite anime characters of all time. Actually, that's something. That's something. Top 10, uh, fictional characters of all time. How about that? Top 10 fictional characters of all time. We're going to rank that. We're going to rank that on one of the future episodes. But yeah, just oh my gosh, just the cast too. You get James Franco in the first one. You get oh my gosh, that the actor in the second one. We all know who he is, but we can't remember his name. You get Woody Harrelson in the third one. Just Andy Serkis is perfect using the uh animation suit. I mean, he was Gollum in the uh Lord of the Rings movies and in the Hobbit. I mean, just so so such a good actor there. The emotion from these films, you feel for these apes, these animated animals, you feel for them. You, the, the, the animation is amazing in this. The storytelling is perfect. I mean, we're going from California, then your journey in North, then, I mean, it is. And Caesar's character development is on another level. You know, I always point out that one of my favorite fictional characters of all time is Optimus Prime, but he doesn't really have too much character development. If you watch the first first movie of Caesar to the Caesar at the end of the third movie, it is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, the character development, and they did that with just 
an animated ape. It is incredible. And the fourth movie, they're making a fourth movie that comes out next year in 2024, I think towards the end of it, maybe near September. I am so pumped for it. I believe it follows Caesar's son. I hope it does. Oh my gosh. I am just a Planet of the Apes fan. I really got to go back and rewatch the movies. They're just movies that I honestly, I treasure so much. I can't just watch them all the time because I have to watch all three consecutively, like either back to back to back or three days in a row or something like that, just because of how much I love them. So Planet of the Apes, my favorite trilogy of all time. Some of my favorite movies of all time. They are, they're truly amazing. Oh yeah, that's my top 10 list of trilogies. I'm aware. I'm aware there's probably better trilogies. Obviously, there's probably better trilogies. But um, that's just how I feel. The Planet of the Apes, my favorite of all time. I just can't help, cannot help, but love it. We'll move on from the trilogies. But uh, before we talk about uh, week 10 of the NFL, dropping my predictions... Um, I did want to mention the UFC rankings. The UFC rankings did update following last weekend's Brazilian UFC Sao Paulo fight night. And despite not being on there, some of the fighters that changed spots in the rankings, we have a lot of notable mentions that we're going to talk about real quick as we look at the rankings. First off, Myra Bueno Silva and Talia Santos, two top women in the women's divisions, released from the UFC. Talia Santos was ranked, what was she? Talia Santos was ranked like number four in the women's flyweight division, and she was cut. And Myra Bueno Silva, who was ranked number three in women's bantamweight, and was who is still, apparently at the moment, fighting for a women's bantamweight championship in January, was also released from the company. I have no idea for the releases. I don't really think anyone has any inside information on why they were released, but super random. And I looked at the rankings when they dropped Tuesday, and I was like, what What women were cut? Like, I, I saw a bunch of rises and falls. I was like, what's going on? And then I see later in the day from UFC Roster Watch on Twitter that they were released. So I don't know what's going on with that, but super unique that uh, they were dropped. However, besides that, we did have a massive shakeup at the men's pound-for-pound pound rankings as Islam Makachev passed John Jones. Islam Makachev is now the number one ranked pound-for-pound pound fighter in the UFC in the world, if you want to phrase it like that. John Jones now to the number two spot. Good for Islam. I completely agree. He has had two fights this year. John Jones has only had one in the last three years, so... Good for Islam. I love it. And he's already trying to get another fight book. So we, we love Islam. We support Islam. And wow, just as I've said that, um, I just realized it sounds like I'm talking about the nation of Islam. Now I'm talking about Makachev. We support Islam. Makachev. Not that I hate Islam. I love everybody. But yes, Islam Makachev, your lightweight champion, is now the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC. Also, Kamaru Usman and Jiri Prochaska are now tied for 14th in the pound-for-pound uh, pound rankings. Don't know why, but if Jiri wins, without a doubt, he's jumping up like eight spots in the rankings. We'll talk about that prediction later in the episode. Also changing in the welterweight division, Vicente Luque passes Sean Brady from nine to eight. Um, no idea why, as Sean Brady hasn't fought in over a year, and Vicente hasn't fought since uh, this summer. So, very odd movement there. And also, in the middleweight division, Hamzat passes Jack Hermanson from 9 to 8. Hamzat Shemayev now ranked 8. Uh, no idea what Hamzat's going to do next, as he was passed up for the title shot. Not, I'm not really surprised by that. If I were to say, I'd put Hamzat Shemayev versus up 
someone like Robert Whitaker, I like UFC 300, save him for a big pay-per-view, and that can be a good fight that you do. At heavyweight, lots of changes. Following his win over Dontel Mays, Rodrigo Nascimento is now ranked at number 15 in the men's heavyweight division. And following his dominant win over Derek Lewis in the main event, Halton Almeida jumps two spots to now be ranked number 7. Sergey Spivak drops down to 8, tied to Ivasa to 9. And Marcin Tibera is now tied with Derek Lewis for the number 10 spot in the heavyweight division. As what's next for Halton Almeida, I think Alexander Volkov potentially the loser of tonight's uh, Pavlovich versus Aspinall fight, or even I would go as far to say Cyril Gaim. Sky's the limit for Halton Almeida. I love it. As for Derek Lewis, fun fights ahead. Someone like Justin Taffa, Jarzinho Rosenstruck, anyone like that. Lots of shakeups in the women's division. In the women's pound-for-pound rankings, we now have two new women, as Myra Bueno Silva and uh, uh, Talia Santos were both ranked in the women's top 15. Jessica Andraj jumps up to 12. Hawkwell Pennington tied with her as well at number 12. Amanda Lemos jumps up to 13 as Ketlin Vieira, currently the number three woman in the women's bantamweight division is now ranked at 14, and Irene Aldana, who's currently the number five woman at Women's Bantamweight, uh, who last fought uh, Amanda Nunes for the championship in June, is now ranked at 15th. So those women are now in the top 15. Good for them for pound for pound. As for women's flyweight, I mean, with the loss of Talia Santos, they just add Joanne Wood on to, at number 15, and every woman jumps up a spot. Uh, not Nothing really to note on, but... um. That's, I don't know, cool there. Joanne Wood, not going to be around long. At women's bantamweight, Tynera Lisboa coming on at number 15 in the women's rankings. Ketlin Vieira up to three, as I mentioned. Holly Holmes to four. You also got uh, Pankianziad up to six. Yana to seven. Carol Rosa to eight. Bunch of other random um, jumps up for some lower-ranked fighters, but no, no, no real clue why they dropped those women. I'll have to find that out, hopefully by next week we can talk about it, but it's a mystery to me now. But, you know, the, the rankings, they're always so random at times. They're always so random on uh, who who stays, who goes, but you know, I, actually, honestly, I would be the person. I want to be one of the people that vote on who to move who where, because I would have great input, I feel. I feel like I would have immaculate input on where to uh, move people in the rankings. I feel like it's very simple. Like, um, like for instance, I mean, looking looking at some of these rankings, I mean, you get, we'll, we'll we'll use bantamweight as an example. You have Henry Cejudo, who's ranked at number three, who had whose last win was in 2020. His last fight he lost, and he's ranked number three ahead of Corey Sanhagen, who's on a three fight win streak, which makes no so so it makes no sense how he's ahead of him. So stuff like that, I would work on. A quick little NBA uh, rankings. Now it's going to say standings check in as um, the 76ers, 7 and 1, the uh, best, uh, oh, actually the second best team in the league, but the best team in the Eastern Conference. They're on a seven game win streak. They've been on a roll and they take over for the Celtics, who've dropped two games since being a, a perfect 6 and 0. Or actually, they were 5 and 0 and then they lost. But um, yeah. Celtics are six and two. Pacers six and three. Very cool. The Pacers haven't really had a good season in a long time, so uh, good for them. Starting off their season hot. Hawks are five and three. Bucks are five and three. Um, and at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, you have the Pistons, who are two and eight on a seven-game losing streak, and the Wizards, who are two and six. But let's go over to the Western Conference, as the Minnesota Timberwolves are six and two on a five-game win streak and are third. 
third in the Western Conference. We're up four games. Absolutely crazy. I just, I can't believe it. I can't believe that the um, Timberwolves are starting off the season hot. I'm loving it. Rudy Gobert is currently in the lead for Defensive Player of the Year. Let's keep this momentum, boys. Uh, Nuggets, 8-1 and one on a four-game win streak. Uh, their only loss to the Timberwolves, I might add. Best team in the NBA currently. Joker is just a menace. So talented. Uh, Mavericks 7-2. and Luka dropped 44 points last night, and the Mavericks scored 144. That team's crazy good. Um, Warriors 6-3. and Rockets 5-3. and Turn it on. They're on a little five-game win streak. Love to see it. Thunder are 5-4. and And at the very bottom, the Grizzlies, the worst team in the NBA, 1-8. and Only one win on a two-game losing streak. Uh, how are the Bulls doing? Bulls, my cousins are Bulls fans. They are 13th in the Eastern Conference, 3-6. and six. Um, Wow, interesting start. But I just wanted to touch on that the Timberwolves are looking great. I mean, Anthony Edwards is could potentially, if, if we keep him, if we keep him, he could potentially be the best Timberwolves player since, like, Kevin Garnett. All right, I'll, I'll go that bold, okay? He reminds me of Justin Jefferson of the Vikings for some reason. I just feel like, you know, they're both the young young guns of their franchise, leading them, and, man, Anthony Edwards. I really hope we can keep him, guys. Let's pay this man because he is so talented. And honestly, you know, I, I'm, say, I'm still saying that this is the Vikings year for the Super Bowl. I say it every year. I call it. Um, but, man, this could be the Timberwolves' year to at least make the playoffs, make the playoffs, and win the first round. Just win the first round, and I would consider this year a win. If you could win the NBA championship, that would be even better, even greater, if I, uh, if you will. Uh, Minnesota Wild, I saw a little graphic last night. They're like 5-6-1. and one. They're struggling. They're middle of the pack as the Golden Knights continue to dominate the NHL. But the San Jose Sharks, who are 0-10, are now on a little two-game win streak. They finally got their wins. That's crazy. Imagine your franchise starts out their first 11 games of the season, and you don't win a single one. That's just, that's insane. But um, I'll tell you what else was insane. NFL Week 10 kicked off with the Panthers and the uh, the Panthers and the Bears, and they had an absolute heater, an absolute heater on Thursday Night Football. I know it was absolutely crazy. 16 to 13, the Bears win. Um, I'm obviously being sarcastic. The game sucked. I don't even think I, I didn't even watch it. I think I was playing Fortnite with the boys. It was uh, it was very it was very. The matchup you expected, you got. Bears win 16-13. Good for them. They now have three wins on the year. Good for them. Panthers still only have one. So, a shame to be a Panthers fan. Top fantasy performers for the game, Adam Thielen gets 10.2 fantasy points on six catches for 42 yards to lead the Panthers. Next up was Bryce Young, who had 185 yards throwing and 18 yards rushing. He just... Didn't do, didn't do anything. Didn't do anything for him. Carolina D had nine points. Uh, I don't even, did they force a fumble? I don't even think they did. Got some sacks here and there. As for the Bears, Deonta Foreman doing his thing. 17.2 fantasy points. Had 80 rushing yards for a touchdown. And uh, two catches for 12 yards. Good for him. Cairo Santos, 12 points on... Um, Wow, 12 points. So doing the math, they had one touchdown. So we had three field goals. Wow, good job, Cairo. DJ Moore had 10.9 points on five catches for 58 yards. Cole Komet, five catches, 45 yards. Rashawn Johnson, four catches, 14 yards. Not much. 
not much went on. Tyson Bagant only threw for 162 yards, rushed for 12 yards. I mean, just everything you expected out of this game, you got. It was it was bad. There's just not a lot of action. So a good game to miss, I'll say. But um, good for the Bears. I predicted the Bears. I think my friends picked the Panthers, but I, everyone in my family picks pool picked the uh, Bears. You know, the NFC North rival, but, uh, you know, they're, they're not the hottest right now, right? Three and seven, minus 51-point differential. But, hey, you know what? You're, you're now, you're honestly, you get a win, you can pass the Packers in the, uh, in the rankings. So, honestly, after this weekend, I don't think the Packers are going to win. But let's, uh, let's go down the line and look at all the matchups. Kicking us off on, um, what is it? Actually, we might have an international game this upcoming week, but uh, I can't remember which one it is. Is it, um, I, don't, I don't, honestly, which one is it? I should probably get that right. I was about to say I don't care, but I can't just mention that there's an international game and then just skip over it. Uh, Colts and Patriots. Wow, that is the early game. Okay, Colts and Patriots. So I did have it right, actually. Um, they'll be doing battle, I believe, internationally. Unless for some reason we're playing at 830 in New England. They'll probably be in Germany or London or wherever. The, probably, actually, it's probably in Germany. They're doing like a series of German games. But uh, yeah, the Colts, the 4-5 and five Colts, will be taking on the 2-7 and seven Patriots. I got to ride with the Colts in this one. I won't lie. Looking at last week, clearly the Colts aren't that bad of a team. Honestly, the Patriots are a bad team. You know, you can look at the you can look at the Patriots and just tell this team doesn't know what it's doing. The defense is the only saving thing for this team at times. But uh, the Colts looking good. Their defense looks good as well, and they can also make a run. Maybe sneak into the wild card. Maybe even win their division. It's not an unrealistic goal. I mean, obviously, the Jaguars are 6-2, and five-game win streak. They have been the powerhouse in the AFC South. But Colts and Texans, you know, it's it's not unobtainable, all right? Think about me as a Vikings fan. We were 0-3, then we were 1-4, and and now we're 5-4, and all right? Your season can flip just like that. So don't ever count yourselves out, Colts fans. As for Patriots fans, yeah, you might need to look at uh, Bo Nix next season. Kicking us rolling, uh, keeping us rolling, we have the Packers and the Steelers, and I am not doing this again. I'm picking the Steelers, not even going to sugarcoat it. I've just been, I've, I've been hating on the Steelers, man. I haven't picked them for a while now. I don't know why. I have no reason not to pick the Steelers, and uh, the, I don't like the Packers, all right? I'm annoyed they won last week. I can't stand them. And honestly, this, the Steelers can do this. The Steelers truly can do this. They're 5-3. and three. They're only two games back from the Ravens. They're in a tough division. And it just feels like the AFC North is the division to beat this year. They've just been dominant. And as for the Packers, look, there's just nothing good about this Packers team. I won't lie. I mean, the running game, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are both very talented backs, but they just haven't been able to find their way this season. Jordan Love been kind of, honestly, he's been... He's been struggling. I'd honestly say below average struggling. He's just they they're three and five. They they have a plus one point differential, so good for you. But you know, at home they're two and two. So on the road, eh, maybe a new chance. But we're gonna ride with the Steelers in this one. I uh you know what? Kenny Pickett, carry me home. And George Pickett's, I'm gonna need big things from you this week. Okay, I didn't play you last week. You put up what, two point one points, all right? I have to play you this week. Don't let me down. 
And I'll tell you who's not going to let me down, the Minnesota Vikings, as we host the Saints. And um, let me just call it right now. You're, you, you, I, saw people, I saw people say it, even my own father was telling me, you know, they probably are going to get tape on Josh Dobbs. You know, he's not going to be dominant like last week. There's a reason he was the second-string quarterback in Arizona. Let me tell all the haters out there, all right? The Vikings are going to not just run, not just walk. They're going to, uh, to waltz, Tim Waltz, our governor. No, all politics aside, that was a nice little little call into Minnesota. The Vikings are going to waltz over the Saints, okay? The Saints ain't got nothing on us. We're on a four-game win streak, all right, plus 16-point differential. And, yeah, we've been 1-3 at home this season. It's been bad. But those three losses were in the early part of the season, all right? We are in a new era, the Josh Dobbs era. And yeah, we're missing KJ Osborne. Yeah, we're missing JJ. Yeah, we're missing Cam Akers. Yeah, we're missing TJ Hawkinson, Kirk Cousins, you name it. We don't got it. But we got a team here that knows what they want. And we want a Super Bowl. All right, that's what we want. Shoot for the moon, aim for the stars. I don't know a good saying for it, but man, I'm feeling this Vikings team. Josh Dobbs, I got to play him in fantasy this week. All right, Madison, I need you to do some big things now that Kev Akers is out. All right, Alexander Madison, expect big things. And Jordan Addison, you got this. You are going to do amazing things. That, that, that kid is so good, the USC boy. I love him. You know what? Michael Thomas got arrested today. All right, the Saints already in turmoil. Derek Carr won't know what hit him when he crashes onto our uh, cold shores, onto our rocky shores. I don't know, our Viking shores. Who knows? But obviously, I'm picking the Vikings. I pick them every single week. You might as well lock me in 18 weeks straight. I, I think we're going to go undefeated every season and win the Super Bowl. That's what type of fan I am, a loyal Minnesota Vikings fan. I wasn't always this way. I was a bandwagon. I used to just root for whoever was the best team in the league, but now I've settled into my role as a loyal Vikings fan. Uh, and honestly, we can honestly tie the Lions this week if the Lions lose and uh, take over the division. As for the Saints, they're ahead of the NFC South somehow. Two-game win streak, plus 24-point differential. They're 5-4 and four as well. You know, they, they, they've been pretty similar to the Vikings, honestly. Some weeks were hot, some weeks were cold, but uh, I think we'll beat the Saints. But I will say, Taysom Hill and uh, Rashid Shahid, don't be shy to pop off, but uh, don't pop off too much. Keeping us on a roll, we have the Texans and the Bengals in Cincinnati. This Bengals team has been on an absolute tear. Early early season Joe Burrow is terrible. Late season Joe Burrow is beautiful. Four-game win streak, 5-3 and three now. They've worked their way back from their point differential. It's now only minus 7. They've been 3-1 and one at home. They've been looking good. I expect Joe Mixon to uh, do Joe Mixon things. Jamar Chase do Jamar Chase things. Now, T. Higgins is out. So, you know, if there's any fancy owners who have Tyler Boyd play him this week. Um, and Jamar, but Jamar Chase should be uh, taking over a good amount of the uh, workload. As for the Texans, you know what? C.J. Stroud had an amazing 41-point fantasy performance last week. You guys are 4-4, four four, second in the AFC South, plus 22-point uh, differential. You've been looking good as well. 3-1 and one at home on the road. I mean, three losses on the road. 
But uh, you know, I just think I think the Bengals are the better team compared to the Texans. But I'm gonna pick the Texans in more matchups now after seeing what they did last week. But yes, we're gonna ride with the Bengals. Next up, we have the Browns visiting the Ravens. This is going to be a defensive battle. That's all I can say. Defense will win this game. It's whatever offense can overcome the defense because you're looking at potentially the number one and number two defenses. Either one could be the number one and number two defense in the league. Uh, Ravens, seven and two. Browns, five and three. Uh, they both looked amazing. I mean, Ravens are on a four-game win streak. Uh, the point differential for the Ravens is now over 100. 115 point differential for the Ravens. For the Browns, uh, honestly, not not too bad either. P plus 42. This is going to be an interesting game. I'm going to ride with the Ravens. I'm going to ride with the Ravens. I'm going to ride with Lamar. But um, we'll see what happens. Keeping us moving, we have the Titans and the Buccaneers. And look, what I saw last week, clearly Will Levis versus the Falcons was a fluke. You know, he didn't look terrible. He looked terrible last weekend, uh, or last week on Thursday Night Football. But he, it certainly wasn't pretty against the Steelers. So, Bucks, they lost the tight one to the uh, Texans. I don't think that'll happen again. I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. I think Baker can pull it together and uh, pass to Mike Williams. Mike Evans. Actually, I don't think I have Mike Evans anymore. If I did, I benched him. I can't recall, but... uh. You know, we'll we'll see. But uh, the Titans, you know, hand it off to Derrick Henry. I don't care, but uh, we're picking the Bucks. 49ers, back from their bye week, will be taking on the Jaguars. As I mentioned, Jaguars 6-2, and two, the top of the AFC South. And as for 49ers, it's been a hard fall off. 5-3 now, three-game losing streak. Uh, this is a chance to turn around, but... I don't think they're going to. Not on the road. Not on the road for this 49ers team. Of their three losses, two have been on the road. They've only won. They've been 2-2 two and two on the road. Um, I think this Jags team is just going to keep on rolling. I think they are. I think they're going to run through the 49ers. I don't think Brock Purdy is going to know what's hit him when he's getting sacked all day long. So we're riding with the Jaguars. I'm going to need some big things from Calvin Ridley and Travis Etienne. Uh, I don't think I'm playing Trevor Lawrence this week in fantasy. I think I'm going with someone else. Um, I can't recall. Maybe it was Jared Goff. Maybe it was Justin Herbert. I can't remember, but... You know what? We'll see what uh, they produce. And speaking of Justin Herbert, the Lions will be taking on the Chargers in L.A. Lions 6-2, and two, I mean, plus 35-point differential. They're at the top of the NFC North and honestly probably one of the top teams in the NFC in general as for their opposition. The Chargers, their 4-4 four four, two-game win streak, worked their way back like the Vikings from a terrible start. And honestly, you know what? I'm going to pick the Chargers over the Lions. I've been picking the Lions all season, and they, they disappointed me before their uh, bye week. But uh, they're back. They're back. They're, they, they look good. They got David Montgomery. But I just, some's tell me that Justin Herbert is going to shred the secondary of the, of the Lions. Keenan Allen's going to do some things. Josh Palmer's going to do some things. Even Gerald Everett is going to cook and do some things. So I, I don't know what to expect from that game. But I, I, I do honestly feel the Chargers are going to get it done. And plus, I got to spice it up when you're playing other, when you're picking against other people. It's no fun to pick the same teams. Plus, uh, you know, it's, it's always fun picking, uh, picking against my NFC North rivals. So we're picking the Chargers. But, uh, man, Jared Goff, Monroe St. Brown, the defense is good, too, for the Lions. 
It'll be a tough one, but I'm going to root for you, Chargers. Falcons will be journeying down to Arizona. And you know what? You know what? The Falcons, they've been looking terrible. They're on a two-game losing streak. They're now minus like 30, 30 freaking 8, 36 in point differential. It's been horrendous for them. But I think they turn around here. This Cardinals team, I don't know if I can see the Cardinals winning another game this season, personally. They're 1-8 on a six-game losing streak. They are, quite honestly, minus 91 point differential, so they're nearing. Actually, wait a second. They might be... No, they're not full. They're, they've allowed 240 points. They've scored 151, so they are minus 90. Uh, minus 91? Is that... Am I doing my math correctly? I don't I don't care, honestly. It's been an embarrassing year for this Cardinals team. Uh, Kyler Murray does come back, but I don't think that'll help. That'll help them. I, I, I feel like he'll need a pick-me-up game before they win. So we're going to pick the Falcons in this one. But uh, honestly, now that, I, now that I say that, if Kyler Murray does in fact come back, he could bring the Cardinals to a win. But as for this weekend, I'm going to pick the Falcons. No, oh, I don't know. I don't know, guys. I might switch it up. I might switch it up because if Kyler Murray's back, I might trust this team a bit more. But I will say the Falcons, they do have close losses. If Taylor Heineke's leading, we'll we'll ride with the Falcons still. You know what? We're not gonna we're not gonna go away from what I already had. Okay. Commanders and the Seahawks, uh at the Seahawks, 330 battle. And let me just tell you, Seahawks are 5-3, and three, tied for first in the NFC West. They're coming off a tough loss last week. You know, it was, it was a close battle, right? It was a close battle for them, but sadly, sadly came up short against the Ravens. Um, actually, no, they got blown out. That's what it was. They were the team that got blown out last weekend by the Ravens. So they're back for revenge. They're taking on this Commanders team, who honestly is 4-5. and five. They picked up a win last week. But uh, the Seahawks team is good. The Seahawks team is good. And I think even if you have an off week, they play a team like the Commanders compared to the Ravens, they'll get it done. We're rocking with Geno. So uh, we'll pick the Seahawks in that one. Giants and Cowboys. We'll keep it short and sweet. Cowboys are significantly better than the Giants. I th- this Giants team actually has no weapons. They actually have no weapons. I mean, they they don't have their starting running back. They don't have their starting quarterback. They have no one really. They they lost their starting tight end. They don't have any wide receivers. Cowboys by a million. This Cowboys defense will run through the offense, and whatever goodness there is on defense for the uh, Giants will be trounced by Dak Prescott and Ceedee Lamb. <laughs> it's uh it's uh, it's brutal. All right, if the Giants win this one, I'd be fairly fairly surprised. But you know what? Sometimes in uh, divisional matchups in your division's games, spontaneous things happen. But we're obviously picking the Cowboys. Sunday Night Football brings us the Jets and the Raiders. I don't know how in the world we got stuck with that. Is, is that wrong? Is that wrong? I hope I made this a while ago. All right. I put in all these games into a spreadsheet a while ago. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they moved it. Nope, the Jets and the Raiders is the Sunday night football game. Wow. That's brutal. Okay, the uh the Jets and the Raiders, two uh two teams that have just been, I mean, the Raiders, they got a big one last week. You know what? The Raiders, they came they came and won last week. It was a good win for them after firing their head coach and general manager. Um as for the Jets, you know, a tough loss. 
a tough loss last, uh, didn't they play Monday? Monday against the Chargers, wasn't it? Yeah, and they lost that one. Wasn't pretty for them. But I got to pick the Jets, all right? This Raiders team I still don't think is up to par. And uh, I think this Jets team can uh, maybe make the playoffs. They, they have the they have the mindset. They have somewhat of tools. But um, we'll see what happens. I'm going to pick the Jets over the Raiders. But um, you know what? The Raiders, they're uh, third in the AFC uh, West. Four and five. Coming off a big win. They've been uh, good at home this year. Of their four victories, three at home. Only uh, one loss. But uh, we're going we're gonna to stick with the Jets. And that brings us to our final game of Week 10. The Broncos take on the Bills in Buffalo on Monday Night Football. Could be a bit chilly. All right, I wonder if they'll get any snow. Maybe they will. But, uh, yeah, I, I got to go with the Bills. Got to go with the Bills. Broncos are just 3-5, and five, bottom of the AFC West. Now, they are on a two-game win streak, but I do think those were flukes. Okay, I do think those were flukes. This Bills team... Only loses to tough, 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 po- tough opponents, and I don't think the Broncos are up to par. So we'll we'll wrap up our Week Ten picks with the Bills. So we got the Bears already correctly predicted that. I got the Colts, Steelers, Vikings, Bengals, Ravens, Bucks, Jaguars, Chargers. I'm confident on all those. It's the Falcons, Seahawks. I'm picking the Cowboys, the Jets. And even the Bills, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit shaky on some of these. I won't lie. Something tells me I should pick the Raiders. Something tells me I should pick the Cardinals. But we're not going to trust our gut and just keep what we have. We're just going to keep our picks. We'll ride them out. We'll see how it goes. But uh, we can always come back to this and go, hey, should have picked this. You didn't. Oh, well, tough luck. But, uh, yes, that, uh, that, that ends our Week 10 predictions, our look at NFL Week 10, which leads us to our final, final, final thing to talk about on the podcast. My favorite part of every episode, as you all know. We will be doing our UFC 295 preview. It's very late. It's very late. The event goes down tonight. So maybe some people, by the time they listen to this, will uh, the fights have already been, will already have been done. You can come back, listen to this, and say, oh, he got this right. He got that wrong. We'll see what happens. But here is your UFC 295 preview. Yes, UFC 295, the biggest pay-per-view of the fall season. I mean, it's in Madison Square Garden. We get two title fights. It, it just it just doesn't get any bigger than this. Jerry Prochaska returns to take on Alex Bahera for the light heavyweight championship, and Sergey Pavlovich takes on Tom Aspinall for the interim heavyweight championship. We were supposed to have John Jones versus Deepa Miocic, but John Jones injured himself. We wish him a quick recovery. But we'll work with what we've got. We've got a jam-packed, I believe it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 13 fight card. I didn't know if any fights were canceled because of weigh-ins. I saw like one or two fighters came a bit heavy for the weigh-ins, but that won't stop us from looking at all fights on the card and giving our predictions, as we all know. As we are all aware, all prelim picks are unofficial. All main card picks are official and go down in my official picks book. We're coming off of a, let me double check here. We're coming off of a 4-1 predictions at uh, uh, Halton Almeida versus Derek Lewis last weekend. All time, we are 494 and 348. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. And on the year, I'm trying to see where we are for our yearly stats 
because this has been a pretty good year. This has been been one of my better years, um, actually nearing my best ever, and it might even be. We are 223-71 and 71 on the year, so it has been an immaculate year. I think in 2022, I was... Oh, 133 and 85. Were there less main card fights in the year before? I don't know. We'll have to go back and look at that. But yes, let's kick. Uh, let's kick off. Prelims go down at five o'clock. This episode should be up by one o'clock. Hopefully, we will see. But yes, we kick off the night with a featherweight matchup between Dennis Bazooka and Jamal Emmers. Dennis the Great Bazooka and Jamal Pretty Boy Emmers. Dennis is eight and three. Jamal is nineteen and seven. Five foot ten to five foot nine in favor of Jamal, and a seventy-four inch reach to seventy in favor of Jamal Emmers. That is notable. Uh, Jamal Emmers, thirty-four years old, of his nineteen career victories, seven by knockout, three by sub. He hails from California. He's been in the UFC since twenty eighteen, where he actually lost on the contender series. Then in twenty twenty, officially made his debut, lost a split decision to Giga Chikadze. No one knows Giga Chikadze, currently the number eight featherweight in the world, so that's some good competition. Picked up his first win in twenty twenty. Uh, actually lost to Pat Sabatini in 2021, who fights on the main card. Uh, then he beat undefeated Kusan Ashkabov, who's 23-0 earlier this year, and then lost a very controversial split decision to Jack Jenkins earlier this year in uh, June. So he's back, coming off of a loss, but uh, that should not derail him too much. Dennis Bazooka, 26 years old. He's from Staten Island, New York, of his eight career fights, four by knockout and one by sub, career victories, I should say. And, um, you know, he, he was on the Contender Series in 2020 where he lost to Melsic Bagdasarian, but then he went on a seven-fight win streak, which included a win over Kaleo Romero on Season 6 of Dana White's Contender Series in 2022. He then made his debut this year in August, where he lost to Sean Woodson. But he's back to take on Jamal Emmers, but i got to be honest, guys, I'm going to go with Jamal Emmers. He's got the reach. He's got more experience against higher-level fighters, and I do believe he is on a two-fight winning streak. I do think he beat Jack Jenkins earlier this year. That's just sometimes how it goes with these MMA judges. You get robbed, but I think Jamal Emmers will be back with vengeance to pick up a victory. Keeping us rolling along, we now we have a flyweight matchup up next between Joshua the Fearless Van, or maybe the Fearless Joshua Van. I don't know where his nickname lands in his name. And then Kevin, he's fighting Kevin El Gallo. Negro Borjas, you know, I believe that could be like the black cat. Is Gallo cat or Pero? That's dog. Gato cat, so Gallo. El Gallo Negro Kevin Borjas. I have no idea what's going on there. Joshua's 8-1. and one. Kevin is 9-1. and one. Both fighters are 5-5. Five, five. And uh, Kevin, 68 inch reach to 65. They both fight orthodox. Joshua Van, 22 years of age. He's on a six-fight win streak. He was actually born in Myanmar, but uh, now lives in Texas. 
and of his eight victories, five by knockout, two by sub. So pretty good, uh, pretty good finishing rate. He made his debut earlier this year in June on short notice. He took on Zalagas Zumalagov and picked up a split decision win. He clearly won the fight. Kids only 22. I mean, he was born a year before me. That's that's just crazy to me. Joshua Van, I'm uh, excited to watch this kid fight. His opponent, Kevin Borjas, coming from Dana White's Contender Series. He fought on uh, episode uh, one of this past season, August 8th. Beat Victor Diaz by unanimous decision. He's uh, from Para, He's from Lima, Peru, 25 years old, on a four-fight win streak. And of his nine victories, eight by knockout. So Kevin's an absolute knockout machine. But I gotta be honest, I, I I fell in love with Joshua Van when I saw him fight Zalagas, so I gotta ride with my boy Joshua Van. But man, Kevin Borjas, eight knockouts of his nine career victories, that's an intimidating stat, but I will not let it stop us from uh, picking against Joshua Van. I'm rooting for Joshua Van, and easily either of these guys could break into the top 15 of men's flyweight if they uh probably not this fight but maybe the one after so i wish both of them luck catchweight bout up next between john sexy mexi castanda and mr perfect kyung ho kang wow we got some unique names coming as today john castanda 20 and 6 kyung ho kang is 19 and 9 with a no contest uh kang is 5-9 compared to 5-6 for john 73 inch reach 271 in favor of Kang. Both fighters usually fight at bantamweight, but I believe this is on short notice, so it's at catchweight. An orthodox style stands for Kyung and a switch stance for John Castanda. Kyung Ho Kang, 36 years old. He was uh, born and raised in Busan, South Korea. Uh, two knockouts and 12 subs of his 19 victories, so he's a submission machine. Been in the UFC since 2013. Had a stint from 2013 to 2014 where he actually had a no contest against Alex Caceres in an overturned victory for him, I believe. Um, went over Guido Canetti in 2018 when he returned to the UFC. Lost to Ricardo Ramos. Beat Torito Ashira. Um, currently on a two-fight win streak. Uh, fought earlier this year in June. Had a round one submission of Christian Quiones. So good stuff for Kang Ho Kang. As for his opponent, John Castanda, I learned this. I learned this when I was doing my research before the fight, that he's actually from Minneapolis, Minnesota. The 31-year-old has seven knockouts and seven submissions to his name. Uh, just crazy stuff that he's from Minnesota. Been in the UFC since 2020. He actually won on the first season of Dana White's Contender Series back in 2017. Lost his UFC debut against Nathaniel Wood, but since then, he's gone 3-1, and one, uh, beating Eddie Wineland, beating Miles Johns. In October of 2022, he did uh, lose a fight in the night, got finished in round two by Daniel Santos, but he bounced back earlier this year in June when he beat Muin Gafurov by unanimous decision. I got her. I, lo I love Kyung Ho Kang, all right? I love him, but we got to ride a John Costanda. I can't pick against a Minnesota boy in the UFC. I just can't do it. You know, because if I was if I was in the UFC, I would want all my Minnesota people to root for me. So we got to go for John Costanda, but Kyung Ho Kang, I know you're dangerous. Lightweight matchup up next between Jared Flash Gordon and Mark the Olympian Madison. Jared is 19 and six with one no contest. Mark is 12 and one. Jared 5'9", Mark 5'8", Mark 72 inch reach, 68 inch reach to Jared Gordon. Both fighters fighting an orthodox stance. 
Jared Gordon. We all know the man who probably beat, probably did beat Patty Pimblett, but unfortunately got robbed of a decision. He's 35 from Queens, New York, six knockouts and two subs of his 19 victories. So the other 11 by decision. So he's an absolute decision machine. Debuted in 2017 with a round two knockout of uh, Michael Quinones. He's fought a lot of notable people. I mean, he's uh, fought Diego Ferreira in 2018, fought Charles Oliveira in 2019. He's fought in Grand Dawson in 2022. Last two fights haven't really gone well for him. Of course, the terrible Patty Pimlet decision last December, and then a no contest head um, when he clashed heads with Bobby Green back in April of this year. He's looking to bounce back though against Mark Madsen. Mark is 39 years old. He's from Denmark. Three KOs and three subs of his 12 victories. He was a perfect 12 and 0 before losing his last fight to Grant Dawson a year ago in November. He got submitted in round three. He had been losing the fight already, though. You know, here's a guy. He he was 4 and 0 in the UFC before that. Finishes of uh, Daniel Beluardo. Decision wins over Austin Hubbard, Clay Guida, and Vink Pichel. So happy to see Mark return, and I think he'll use his grappling to pick up a big win over Mark uh, or over Jared Gordon here. I just uh, Jared Gordon, he's just such an average fighter, and I think Mark Madsen's grappling will play a huge factor in his victory. Next up, we have a personal favorite of mine here on the prelims. This one is Guaranteed Fireworks. Lightweight matchup between Nazim Blackwolf Sadikov and Vacheslav Slavaklaz Borshev. These two are absolute killers in the lightweight division. Nazim is 9-1. Vacheslav is 7-3. Nazim, 5'10", Vacheslav 5'11", and both fighters have a 69-inch reach. Southpaw stands for Nazim Orthodox for Vacheslav. Um, Nazim is from Azerbaijan, but now resides in Brooklyn, New York. This guy is, this kid, this kid is just crazy. All right, only only uh, 29 years old, nine-fight win streak of his nine victories, six by knockout, two by sub. I mean, since, since he lost his professional debut, he's been on absolute tear. He fought on uh, Season 6 of Dana White's Contender Series, got a Round 3 knockout punch, debuted earlier this year in February, and won a fight of the night over Evan Elder, where he knocked, uh, he actually, uh, actually the fight was stopped, I believe, in the third round because of how bloody Evan was. And then he uh, lost Round 1 to Terrence McKinney earlier in July and came back in Round 2 and freaking finished him. It was absolutely incredible. Nazim, super talented, loved the guy. His opponent, Vacheslav Borshev, 31 years old, from Russia, now residing in Sacramento, of his seven victories, six by knockout. Debuted on uh, season uh, five of Data West Contender Series with a round two knockout punch of Chris Duncan. Then got a performance bonus in his uh, debut when he uh, knocked out Dakota Bush in round one. Following that, he lost back-to-back fights to Mark Diakise and Mike Davis, getting taken down 20 times combined in both those fights. A huge error in his grappling, but he followed that up with a victory in May when he had a performance of the night knockout of Mahashat, where he knocked him down three times. The third one was the final blow, putting him out cold. But Cheslav's dangerous, but the grappling will play an effect in this one. I think Nazim uses it to submit... Um, the Cheslav Borshev. So we're going to go with Nazim, but this could easily be fight of the night if the main card fights don't live up to their uh, standards. But I don't want to see either of these guys lose. I like both of them. But man, this one is going to be good.
Keeping the action rolling, we have a short notice matchup at lightweight between Matus Rebecca and Roosevelt Roberts. Roosevelt stepping in on short notice to replace Narulo Alev, who was supposed to fight Matus Rebecca. But now the uh, Roosevelt Roberts, as uh, anyone knows, was on Dana White's. Uh, uh, no, he was on the Ultimate Fighter. That's what I was searching for. The Ultimate Fighter this past season with McGregor. He came up short in the, um, not the semifinals, I believe it was, actually it was the semifinals. He came up short in the semifinals. Unfortunate results, but um, he's back on short notice, and he's looking for a win. Matus Rebecca, or uh, yeah, no nickname for Matus. He's 17-1, Roosevelt, the Predator Roberts, 12-4 with a no contest. 6'2 to 5'7 in favor of Roosevelt, so an insane 7-inch height advantage for Roosevelt, added to that a 7-inch reach advantage, 73-66. to 66. Roosevelt fights Orthodox, Matus fights Southpaw. This one's going to be wild. Matus Rebecca, as I mentioned, I mean, 17 freaking wins. He's on a 15-fight win streak, a perfect 2-0 in the UFC. Um, he's from Poland. Of those uh, 17 victories, 9 by knockout, 6 by sub. This guy's crazy. Got a submission victory on Season 6 of Dana White's Contender Series. Then beat Nick Fiore in a unanimous decision victory back in January, and in June had a round two knockout of Loic Radzaboov, knocked him down twice in that fight. Matus, super talented. I expect big things from him. As for Roosevelt Roberts, man, I mean, he was born in Miami, now lives in California, 29 years old, uh, four knockouts, five subs of his 12 victories. You know, he, he, he is coming off of a loss to Ignacio Bahamas, uh, Bahama Bahamas. Last time he was in the UFC, got brutally knocked out with a spinning back kick with five seconds left. Came up short on the ultimate fighter. But Roosevelt's back. Okay, Roosevelt's back. Here's a guy who won on oh, freaking season two of Dana White's Contender Series. Comes back, comes in the UFC, beats Daryl Horcher, beats Thomas Guilford. Loses to Vink Pichel, beats Alexander Yakola, beats Brock Weaver. Run to guys like Jim Miller, Kevin Kroom, experiences some issues. But you know what? Roosevelt's here. He's stepping down short notice. We'll give him respect for that. But Matus Rebecca is an absolute savage. Okay, this guy's on a 15-fight win streak. It won't end here. We're riding with Matus Rebecca. Our first Female fight of the night is actually ranked female. So we got a good one here at Women's Strawweight between number 13 ranked Lupita Godinez, Lupi Godinez, and number 10 ranked Tabitha Baby Shark Richie. Tabitha's 9 and 1, Lupi is 11 and 3. 5 at 2 to 5 at 1 in favor of Lupi Godinez, and both women have a 61 inch reach and both fight orthodox. Um,. Tabitha Ritchie, yes, the number 10 woman strawweight in the world. She's on a four-fight win streak in the UFC, four-fight win streak overall, 28 years old. Of her nine victories, one by knockout, three by submission. She's from Sao Paulo, Brazil. You know what? She lost her UFC debut to Amanda Fiorat, and no one knows who Amanda Fiorat is. She's on uh, the cusp of a title shot. She's the number three woman's flyweight in the world. She's beaten Maria Oliveira um, since losing to Manon, beaten Poliana Viana, submitted Jessica Panay earlier this year in March, and earlier this year in June, beat Jillian Robertson. So Tabitha, been looking good as of late, and as for her opponent, Lupi Godinez, she's from Mexico, 30 years old, 
Three-fight win streak, three submissions of her 11 career victories. Been in the UFC since 2021. In the UFC overall, she is 6-3. and three. So, decent, decent stuff. She's had two performance bonuses. One over Silviana Gomez-Juarez, where she submitted her in round one back in 2021. And um, in her last fight out in uh, September, where she beat Elise Reed by round two, rear naked chokehold. Both these women are talented. Both are good, but, you know, honestly... I got to give this one to Lupi Godinez, okay? I've liked what I've seen from Lupi Godinez. She's been improving greatly, and I think she can sneak into the top 10 with a win here. Tabitha will not make it easy whatsoever, but um, I think Lupi is determined enough to get it done. So we're going to ride with Lupi Godinez in this one, which brings us to our final prelim of the night, a flyweight matchup between number 14-ranked uh, men's flyweight Steve Ersig and Alessandro Costa. Steve Astroboy Ersig versus Alessandro No-No Costa. What a name. Steve is 10-1 professionally. Alessandro is 13-3. 5'8 to 5'4 in favor of Steve. Wow, Alessandro is short. 68-inch reach to 67 in favor of Steve. Both fighters fight orthodox. Steve Ersig, yes, the number 14 men's flyweight in the world. Um... Currently on nine-fight win streak, he hails from Australia of his 10 victories, one by knockout, six by sub, beat David Jork, David Dork, David Dorak, however you want to say his name, who's currently the number 15-ranked flyweight in the world at the time. He was like the number 10. He stepped in on short notice earlier this year in June at UFC 289, got a performance of the night for winning this, uh, for winning that fight. And I mean, Steve Versing looked great in it, took the fight to David, and you just rarely see that. You rarely see a random guy step in, fight a top 10 guy, and give him a run for his money and win the fight, which was crazy to see for Steve, so I was very happy for him. But he's got a tough one in front of him, and Alessandro Costa, honestly, he really does. Alessandro is 27 years old from Brazil. Of his 13 victories, four by knockout, six by sub. One on Dana White's Contender Series, season six. Then lost a crazy fight to Miral Bazi in uh, December of 2022 on short notice. Miral Bazi, obviously the number three men's flyweight. But he got an official fight this year, um, earlier this year in June, against Jimmy Flick. Got a round two TKO, uh, finished him on the ground with elbows, just domination from Alessandro Costa. And I don't know. I don't know about this one. I mean, the, you know, Steve is talented. Steve is without a doubt talented, but... Alessandro, he just, he, he has that dog in him. He has that energy that I love to see. And I'm actually going to give this one to Alessandro Costa, if I'm being honest. I think Alessandro is a better fighter than Steve Ersig. You know, Steve, he struggled with David Dork. And I saw that Alessandro had some moments against Amir Albazi, where even Amir was shooting for takedowns. So this will be an interesting one to see. But uh, I'm going to ride with Alessandro Costa in that one to round out our prelims. So yeah, our prelim picks, we're going with Jamal Emmers, Joshua Van, John Castanda, Mark Madsen, Dazeem Sadikov, Matus Rebecki, Lupi Godinez, and Alessandro Costa. Spice it up with some of these picks. I love to see it. Which brings us to our main card picks. You know, we're fighting through this cold. We're fighting through the sick feelings, bringing you our UFC 295 picks. So let's round, let's wrap this up, round it out with our final five fights of the evening. Kicking us off at featherweight. First off, these first two fights of the uh, of the main card, any of these fighters could shoot their way up the rankings. They are all so talented. 
Diego Lopez takes on Pat Sabatini. Diego Lopez 22 and 6, Pat Sabatini 18 and 4, 5 foot 11 to 5 foot 8, so a 3 inch height advantage for Diego Lopez and a 2 inch reach advantage for Diego Lopez. 72 to 70, both fighters fight orthodox. Pat Sabatini, 32 years of age. He hails from Pennsylvania. One KO and an incredible 12 submissions of his 18 career victories in the UFC so far. He has had two submissions. Debuted in 2021 with a win over Tristan Connolly. As we mentioned earlier, beat Jamal Emmers, who fights on the prelims. He'll hook them in a minute and 53 seconds. He's also beaten Tucker Lutz and TJ Laramie. Suffered his first ever uh, UFC loss uh, last September against Damon Jackson. Got knocked out in round one. Came back in June of this year. Dominated Lucas Almeida, submitting him in round two. Pat is back for revenge to uh, hopefully climb the ranks of the uh, rankings of the UFC. He, he keeps talking about being a champion. We'll see if he can do it. But there's no tough. There's no. There's no easy going in the UFC, man. As he takes on Diego Lopez. From Brazil, now resides in Mexico, 28 years old. Of his 22 professional victories, 8 by knockout, 12 by submission. This kid is good. Um, Competed on uh, Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. He lost to Johannes Brito. Stepped in earlier this year in May and had a fight of the night loss to Mozafar Evlov. Gave Mozafar Evlov, who, by the way, by the way, Mozafar Evlov is undefeated 17-0 professionally, one of the best fighters in the UFC. I mean, he's currently ranked number what? What's he up to? Number nine in the featherweight division. I mean, he's incredibly good, and Diego took the fight to him, refused to get finished, actually threw up some incredible submissions. Didn't win that one, but came back early this year in August and had a performance in the night. Triangle armbar in under two minutes against Gavin Tucker. It was crazy. Diego Lopez is an absolute freaking dog. And we're going to give it to him. We're going to give Diego Lopez the win here. We're going to say round two submission. We'll go. Uh, actually, you know what? We're, we're ambitious. We're ambitious here. I'm going to give Diego Lopez a round one submission over Pat Zavatini. I'm going to be rooting for Diego too. But um, Pat's tough. Pat's determined. But we're riding with Diego Lopez. Next up, lightweight matchup between number 14 ranked men's lightweight Matt Frivola and Benoit Saint-Denis. Oh my goodness, Matt, the steamroller Frivola takes on God of War, Benoit Saint-Denis. Oh, Benoit Saint-Denis, one of my favorite fighters. Matt Frivola, 11-3-1, and and one, one draw. And uh, Benoit Saint-Denis, 12-1 and one, with one no contest. 5'11 to 5'9 in favor of Benoit Saint-Denis. 73-inch reach to 71-inch reach in favor of Benoit Saint-Denis. Southpaw for Benoit. Orthodox stance for Matt Frivola. Matt, um, as I mentioned, number 14-ranked men's lightweight. He's on a little three-fight win streak now. 33 years of age. He's uh, from uh, Florida. or uh, but uh, now, Oh, no, he was born in New York, but now resides in Florida. Four KOs and three submissions of his 11 career victories. And of those four knockouts, Three of them have came in his last three fights, that's right. So he's been uh, fighting in the UFC since 2017, where he won on Dana White's Contender Series first season. Did lose his UFC debut, though, after winning uh, to uh, Marco Rolo Paez. Um, picked a win over Jalen Turner, actually. Lost to Armin Sukian, lost to Terrence McKinney. Since uh, 2022, though, he's had three knockout victories. He knocked out Drew Dober earlier this year in a crazy performance of the night fight. And since then, you know, he's been waiting to get a tough, waiting to get an opponent. Unfortunately, 
he gets the short end of the stick as he is to take on the god of war, Benoit Saint-Denis. Benoit is so impressive. 27 years of age, from France, three KOs and nine subs, and at 100% finish rate. He's currently on a four-fight winning streak after losing his first-ever professional fight to Elizio Zaleske Dos Santos, which Benoit took on short notice, up 15 pounds in October of 2021. Kudos to him. It was I, I couldn't believe that he actually did that. I Credit to him, but I mean, I don't know why he did it. But since then, he's finished Nicholas Stolze by rear naked choke. He's knocked out Gabriel Miranda in Paris. He's finished Ismail Bonfim in round one. And earlier in September, he finished Thiago Moises in domination, a fight of the night domination. He's 2-0 on the year. He's going to keep it rolling. Benoit Saint-Denis by round two. We'll say submission. We'll say submission over Matt Frivola, but without a doubt, I'm riding with Benoit Saint-Denis by a long shot. I mean, the kid's just incredible. I love everything I've seen from him. And he could easily climb the ranks. You know, I'd pick Benoit Saint-Denis over probably, probably like maybe even the bottom five of the men's lightweight division. You know, I really like what I see from him. You know what? He's one of my favorite fighters, and we get to watch him tonight. So we're going to be riding with Benoit Saint-Denis in uh, in this matchup. And our little appetizer we get before our main course of two title fights is a women's strawweight matchup between Jessica Andrade and Mackenzie Dern in the women's strawweight division. Mackenzie is currently ranked number seven. Jessica is ranked number five. She's also ranked number six at women's flyweight. Jessica Andrade is also the number 12 woman on the pound-for-pound list. And uh, is Mackenzie Dern? On the woman's pound for pound list, I don't think so. She should be, she honestly should be. But uh, man, this one, this one should be entertaining. Jessica, twenty-four and twelve professionally. Mackenzie's thirteen and three, five foot four to five foot one for Mackenzie Dern. I mean, these women are short, sixty-three and three to sixty-two for Mackenzie. Both women fight orthodox. Jessica Andrade, I mean, she is just, she is just incredible. Okay, but uh. It's been rough goings for her, you know. She's 32 years old. She's from Brazil. I mean, nine KOs and eight subs of her 24 fights. So, I mean, the majority of her fights do not go the distance. However, she is on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, She's been finishing all of them. And it's a shame because she started out her year in uh, at UFC 283, January 21st, with an incredible win over Lauren Murphy. But then she took a short-notice fight against Aaron Blanchfield, got finished in round two, Came back in May, got knocked out in round one by Jan Chayonen, and then in August got submitted in round two by uh, Tatiana Suarez. But we'll give her the benefit of the doubt, as her losses have so far been to the number two women's strawweight and women's flyweight fighters, and the number three women's strawweight fighters. So she's only lost to killers, only lost to the best, but um, I'm hoping she can rebound. I don't know if she's good, though, because she takes on Mackenzie Dern, who's uh, born in Phoenix, now lives in Los Angeles. Uh... Brazilian heritage, 30 years old, of her 13 victories, seven by submission, coming off of a crazy fight of the night victory over Angela Hill, almost finished her at multiple points, looked like an absolute killer in that fight, and I mean, before that, she had lost to Jan Chayon in a close fight, had beaten Tisha Torres before that, I mean, both these women been around a long time, they've had some crazy fights, so I do think this goes the distance, I don't, I don't think we're going to be getting a uh, um, a finish in this one. If we do, you know, I'd probably pick 
Jessica Andrade knockout or potentially a Mackenzie Dern submission. But I got to give it to Mackenzie Dern by decision in this one. You know, I think it's going to be a competitive fight. Should be close, but I do think the grappling in Mackenzie Dern will play a big impact. And plus, she just got divorced, and we saw a divorce Mackenzie Dern. Was an absolute killer her last time out in May. And you know what? I think it translates into November when she beats Jessica Audra. So we're going to be picking Mackenzie Dern. Which then brings us into our co-main event, my personal favorite, one of my favorite fighters in the UFC. Oh my gosh, I love him so much. Sergey Pavlovich takes on Tom Aspinall for the interim heavyweight championship. Sergey, currently the number two heavyweight in the world. Tom, currently the number four heavyweight in the world. These two are bound to give us fireworks. Sergey, 18-1. and one. 31 years of age, from Moscow, Russia, currently on a six-fight win streak of his 18 victories, 15 by knockout. 15 by knockout for Sergey Pavlovich. This guy's incredible. This guy's absolutely incredible. All right? And, you know, he lost his UFC debut in 2018 to Alistair Overeem, got finished in round one, did not look like the same fighter he is today. He adjusted and since then has just not left round one, all right? His last time out, got a performance bonus for knocking out Curtis Blades in three minutes in April. Before that, in December, knocked out Tai Tuivasa in 54 seconds. Before that, knocked out Derek Lewis in 55 seconds, all right? After a three-year layoff, he had knocked out Shamil Abdurkimov in March of 2022 in four minutes. I mean, Sergey is an absolute killer. He doesn't like to waste time, and oh, brother, he brings the heat. His opponent, though, Tom Aspinall, just as good. 30 years old from Liverpool, England. Nine KOs and four subs of his 13 career victories, giving him a 100% finish rate. This guy debuted the UFC in 2020. Round one knockout of Jake Collier. Then a round one knockout of Alan Badeau. Then a round two performance of the night over Andre Arlovsky. Finished Sergey Spivak in round one. Finished Alexander Volkov in uh, round one with the submission. Then, sadly, in July of 2022, hurt himself 15 seconds into his fight night main event against Curtis Blades. But then, after a year of recovery, came back in July of this year and knocked out Marcin Tybura in a minute and 13 seconds. These two fighters are going to bring their all. And it's, it comes down to, honestly, can Tom Aspinall survive the hands of Sergey Pavlovich? Because I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest, you know. We didn't really get to see what Curtis Blades offered him, but the be- the best I've seen of Tom Aspinall was the Alexander Volkov fight where he was able to take him down twice and basically submit him, and that's what he needs to do here. Now, Sergey Pavlovich has great anti-grappling. He's been taken down once, which was against Alexander, I mean, against Alistair Overeem in his UFC debut, which was now five years ago, might I add. Since then, yet to be taken down, yet to have a fight leave the first freaking round, I mean, he's been an absolute killer. And in the Curtis Blades fight, showed so much patience, all right? Showed so much patience. Curtis Blades only shot for a takedown once and was easily stuffed. I mean, Sergey Pavlovich is going to want to keep this on the feet, all right? He's going to just want to throw hands and just do what he needs to do for Tom Aspinall, chop the legs with some leg kicks, and get this fight to the ground. You cannot stand with Pavlovich. All right, no matter how good Aspinall thinks his striking is, which it is very good. It is insanely good. He can't stand with someone like Pavlovich who just oddly has freaking brass knuckles in his natural fist. It's absolutely crazy. I know, but um, we'll see what happens. I like both of these guys. 
But I like Sergey Pavlovich more. I think he's got the fire. I think he brings the heat. So we're going Sergey Pavlovich, round one knockout. I mean, he's done it his last six fights. He's knocked out 15 guys of it in his career. I mean, Sergey Pavlovich, an absolute animal. I think he becomes the interim heavyweight champion. But man, it won't bring me any joy seeing either of these guys lose. But I will be more happy if I see Sergey win. Let's get into our main event. As you know, the heavyweight fight was for an interim belt. But this light heavyweight fight is for the official light heavyweight championship. Jiri Prochaska takes on Alex Poetan Pereira. Oh, this one's going to be amazing. Jiri, the number one light heavyweight fighter in the world. Alex Pereira, the number three light heavyweight fighter in the world. Jiri is 29, 3-1. Alex, 8-2. But many more fights in kickboxing. Uh, Alex, six foot four to six foot three height advantage. Jerry, eighty to seventy nine inch reach advantage. Both fighters fight orthodox. Uh, Jerry Prochaska, thirty one years of age. He hails from the Czech Republic. Currently on a thirteen fight win streak. Uh, last time he lost was in twenty fifteen. So eight years unbeaten. Of his twenty nine victories, twenty five knockouts, three subs. He's only been the distance once in his career. An incredible start to his UFC tenure, though. As I will say, you know, he had one fight in 2020, performance of the night knockout by Volkan Ozmir, nasty round two punch. Didn't fight again until May of 2021, nasty spinning back elbow against David Reyes. Got a fight of the night and a performance of the night bonus in that fight. And then in June of 2022, fought Glover Teixeira, one of the greatest fights you'll ever watch, Jiri Prochaska versus Glover Teixeira. Jiri submitted him with 28 seconds left in a fight he was losing. It was an incredible performance from Jiri Prochaska. Now, I will say that this will now be four fights in four years. So it, he is averaging one fight a year, but he did get hurt, came back from an incredible shoulder injury. Dana White said one of the worst shoulder injuries he's ever seen. So we'll see how Jiri recovers from that. But um, I do I do like what I've seen from Jiri so far, and I'm hoping that he can translate it into this fight. His opponent, though, Poatan Alex Pereira, I mean, the Brazilian, 36 years of age, six KOs of his eight MMA victories. I mean, he, here's a guy who debuted in 2021, knocked out Andreas Micheldis after losing round one, or it got brutally outgrappled, come back, knocks him out with a flying knee in 18 seconds. Then, for some reason, couldn't finish Bruno Silva, went the distance against him, and then in July of 2022, knocked out your current middleweight champion, Sean Strickland, in two and a half minutes. Then, in November of 2022, the last time that he was at Madison Square Garden, he knocked, he finished Israel Adesanya with punches in round five, all right? In a, in a fight he was losing, he was down three rounds to one. Incredible, became middleweight champion. Now, earlier this year in April, did get brutally knocked out by Adesanya, all right? Adesanya got his get back, but, um, you know, did pick up a good split decision win over Jan Belhovich earlier in July. It was a very close fight, so... um. This fight's going to be interesting. Okay, this fight's going to be very interesting. A lot of factors coming into this. Um, Alex's third fight of the year, only second fight at light heavyweight. Jiri coming off of a year-long layoff after being injured, over a year-long layoff after having been injured. Um, if if I'm Jiri, I might want to use some grappling, bring this to the ground. If I'm Alex Pereira, you have your left hook. You know you have knockout power. But um, you know, so does Jiri. All right, both these guys—they don't like to—they don't like fights to go to distance. They don't like to leave it up to the judges. They historically don't leave it up to the judges. I mean, these guys are absolute killers. But um, 
I'm probably going to go with Jiri. I'm probably going to go with Jiri. I just, it's what I'm leaning with. I don't know what round. So, so far, Jiri's had two round two knockouts and a round five submission. Uh, Alex Barrera, he's had a round two knockout, round one knockout, and a round, two round one knockouts, round two knockouts. And he's also, well, he's also had a round five knockout. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, it's, hard, it's so hard to tell. It's so hard to tell with these guys when they're going to finish the fight. I'm going to land on round three. I think Jiri, you know, when I look back to Jiri's last fight against Glover Teixeira, Jiri's, Jiri's best round actually came in round three. Almost finished Glover Teixeira. All right, and that's not to say Jiri didn't look good in any other rounds, but, I mean, specifically in round three, he looked good. Uh, Pajera. You know, it's tough to tell what will happen with him. But I'm going to go Jiri Prochaska, round three knockout. That's my prediction. All right, we're riding with Jiri Prochaska. We're hoping he can get it done. We'll see if he can. But, man, oh, man, the UFC 295 is going to be amazing. I'm so pumped for it. I'm so excited. I have the fight purchased, and I will be watching it, Dana. Not, not streaming. I do not legal stream, Dana. I am a good UFC fan. But yeah, that's your uh, that's your breakdown of UFC 295. We already went over the prelim picks. Let's recap these main card picks. We got Diego Lopez over Pat Sabatini, round one submission. Benoit Saint-Denis over Matt Frivola, round two submission. Mackenzie Dern over Jessica Andrade by unanimous decision. Sergey Pavlovich beating Tom Asmall in round one with a knockout to win the interim light heavyweight, light, uh, interim heavyweight championship. And Drew Pajaska to win the official light heavyweight championship over Alex Pajara with a round three knockout punch. That's what we got. That's what we're riding with. I mean, you can check out all my picks always on Verdict MMA. Follow me. ZR2002 is my handle. My initials and my birth year. How original. But yeah, this was this was a fun episode. You know, I fought through the stuffiness. I fought through the sickness. Uh, down, got down with the sickness. You know what I'm saying? And... I was able to get this episode out to you guys. Hopefully next week we'll be back to 100% to bring better, more well-executed episodes. But uh, thank you guys for listening. You know, I always appreciate it. I always appreciate my listeners. Go Vikings. Go Jiri. Go Sergi. Let's do this, fellas. All right. Everyone have an amazing weekend. I'll catch you guys next time on the Surprise Jeb Podcast.